money minute. Today, the future for the Aussie dollar. The latest house price numbers are out and why investment rules could be changed for the next 20 years. Great to have your company for another episode. Now, very shortly, I'll be speaking with not one, but two senior currency analysts, Sean Callow from Westpac and Matt Richardson from OFX, about the future of our dollar. Now, if I think you're looking to buy assets or goods overseas, I promise you, it'll be good news, worth sticking around for. Now, there is a bit happening. The latest house price figures are out, an interest rate decision, and also housing starts. But all this is kind of the here and now. The thing I always try and do is get my head up and to look ahead, because to me, at least, it's becoming crystal clear that the environment for investing is fundamentally changing. The things we've grown used to over the past 30 or 40 years are going to be vastly different in the future. So one good example, interest rates. Now, for two generations, now that's pretty much anybody of working age today has grown used to the idea that the Reserve Bank will stimulate the economy by cutting interest rates. Except today, and for the foreseeable future, it can't. So it's having to find new ways of creating that stimulus. Now, I played to you a grab a couple of days ago from Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the US. I'm going to play it again because it's fundamentally so important in the way you'll invest in the coming 10 years, at least. It's a game changer that many people are going to be very slow to cotton on to because for the past 40 years, central banks around the world have tried to curb inflation because there's been a long-held belief that high inflation rates are linked with systemically high unemployment rates. Business and investors during periods of high inflation tend to borrow money to invest. The real value of the debt is reduced by inflation, and at the same time, demand for fixed assets pushes their value higher. Businesses are not encouraged to employ people and put them to work. They're encouraged to hold assets. So just listen to Jerome Powell with those thoughts in mind. Our new statement indicates that we will seek to achieve inflation that averages 2% over time. Therefore, following periods when inflation has running below 2%, appropriate monetary policy will likely aim to achieve inflation moderately above 2% for some time. So the playing rules will change for investing and business if the Fed allows inflation to rise. You can understand why a central bank would be relaxed about raising inflation because it would deflate the debt that the government has had to take on to support its people during the coronavirus crisis. Today, our central bank, in keeping interest rates on hold, said it'll continue to buy back bonds to give banks access to cheap funding. It says $200 billion is its facility and banks already have drawn down about $52 billion to date. But the governor, Philip Lowe, made no comment about inflation. That was telling. What he did say is that in Australia, our economy is going through a very difficult period, experiencing the biggest contraction since the 1930s. And he said, as tough as this might be, the downturn is not as severe as earlier expected and a recovery is now underway. Now, this recovery is, however, likely to be both uneven and bumpy, he says, with the coronavirus outbreak in Victoria and having a big impact on the Victorian economy. So there's no secret or surprise there. So now let's go to house prices. The JobKeeper program and maybe even that view that the Australian economy is going to sail through the aftermath of the coronavirus have led people to, in my mind, make some unusual choices. People are buying what houses are on the market and this is seen up by CoreLogic's numbers. Now leave Melbourne out of it for a moment. 
Sydney's annual house price gain is 11% for units at 7.2%. In any given year, that's healthy. In a year when you've had the coronavirus, it's astonishing. The month and the quarter are both down for sure, but it's literally a one-quarter decline. It's not much. The allure of cheap money is bringing people in as they've been attracted to the stock market. In Hobart, Darwin and Canberra, it's almost a case of what coronavirus Prices in each of those capital cities have increased for the month, the quarter and the full year. Though, to be fair, Darwin's market has been belted over the past four years or so. So the median house price in Sydney now two So the median house price in Sydney now nine hundred and eighty five thousand dollars in Melbourne, where the falls are more pronounced, seven hundred and eighty one thousand. But you know, sure as the sun's gonna come up tomorrow, Melbourne prices will rebound significantly as soon as the good residents there can get out of their locked-up houses and back to the on-site auctions that they love so much. And you can see also from the latest home building figures with the Bureau of Stats reporting a 12% increase in July. Though you do have to read more deeply here. Though the housing approvals are up 8% in July, they're still 2.8% lower over the past three months. And for apartments, there was a 20% jump in July, but it's still off 35% compared with a year ago. But all these numbers do go into the mix when you try and work out where our economy and therefore our currency, the good old Aussie battler, is heading to into the future. I can just give you one hint. Against the US currency, it sure ain't down. person I'd like to talk to when it comes to currency and forecasting is Sean Callow, who is a senior currency strategist at Westpac and has for a long time been probably one of the more insightful people to have a chat to in regards to not just the Australian dollar, but also the politics and the trade, so many different variables that go into the forecast for the Australian currency. He joins me now. Sean, many thanks for your time. You're welcome, Ross. Good to speak to you. So just thinking about this, I mean, the dynamics for the Australian dollar, it's not just as simple as looking at the balance of payments as maybe might have happened going back into the, the early 1990s. It's not as simple as looking at interest rates as, you know, it has often in the past influenced interest rates. The, the concoction of different elements that are making up the Australian dollar's level right now is so variable with so many different facets that have largely, if you like, been really caused by, by the coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Aussie dollar obviously had a, a spectacular fall in March when the global markets were under immense pressure from that real wave, particularly hitting the US economy. So uh, obviously the coronavirus uh, started um, coming onto the radar January, February and was having a big impact in China. But as far as the global in- impact, it's really mostly in March. And the, the Aussie, uh, remember, it fell to almost 55 cents um, from uh, about 66 cents in just a matter of days. So uh, since then, it's obviously risen substantially, but really the, the, that big gyration was uh, driven by this uh, this fear of something that there was just no way we could put it on our calendars. Last year, if we're looking for the year ahead in 2020, um, nobody had that on their calendar. So, okay, given the fact that you know nobody has lived in financial markets, certainly weren't around when we had a significant pandemic the last time around, how do you then go forward and make your assumptions about the Australian dollar and where it will be in the future? 
So I think that we look for, I guess, the best parallels we can find as far as um, a potential pathway for the Aussie as far as a global shock is concerned. So we've certainly got lots of examples over the, the years of the Aussie dollar um, moving sharply in response to, to global events. Uh, so it often is impacted more by what happens offshore uh, than locally. Um, the RBA has, in fact, uh, even um, printed charts to show to calculate that the biggest movements in the Aussie dollar are usually outside uh, Australia's trading hours. Uh, so global factors really are very, uh, very important. So we can look look back to to examples. It's a bit hard to avoid. Uh, the one that most of us have remember most recently, the, the GFC. So as far as the the, the fact that we had, uh, to the degree that there are parallels, the, the period and the few years leading up to uh, 2008, 07-08, were relatively positive for uh, global markets and global economy. Growth was strong. Uh, the equity markets were, were rallying. And then, then, of course, a big shock um, that wasn't priced in, a huge sell-off. So then it's a case of what sort of recovery can we have. Um, and in that regard, the hope, obviously, has been that the virus gets under control fairly quickly and we can recover a lot faster than we did after the GFC. Um, it's not quite proving to be the case. So it's sort of... Uh, that's the, the template. How much do we need to adjust that? How quickly can economies you know, recover around the world? And how important was the uh, word coming out of the Federal Reserve last week uh, that it would allow inflation to go beyond that 2% spike? To me, that seemed a pretty important element in, in the mix and certainly said something about the future for the Australian dollar as well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, particularly because the Aussie dollar is a, a very popular uh, currency for global investors to buy when they're looking to bet against the US dollar. So it is a, uh, a quite responsive in both directions. So when, when uh, markets are very panicky, uh, then the, the Aussie tends to underperform. So certainly that's uh, what we saw in the, the GFC, so the, let's say the 4th of September to December 2008, and uh, again in March this year. So, so, the, so that's when so the Aussie that's the Aussie uh, reacting on the downside, uh, and on on the the upside, of course, if we think about um, when in our recent memory was the Aussie dollar strongest, uh, it was uh, in about say say two, 2012 or thereabouts, uh, 2011, 20, 2012, the um, the Aussie, remember, of course, it was above parity with the, the US dollar. So that that period, um, sort of, yeah, 11, 12, um, even got to one dollar ten. Uh, that that was a time when uh, Ben Bernanke at the Fed was uh, uh, really printing the money, electronic money printing that was going on at a time when other central banks were not really doing it. So that's the, the big key there. Is the Fed pursuing a policy more aggressively um, than, uh, than other central banks? Uh, and we've, we obviously saw the, the opposite direction, the Aussie falling pretty steadily through uh, 2018 and, and 2019 as uh, the, the Federal Reserve was um, still keeping interest rates relatively high compared to Australia. So with this new monetary targeting, uh, well, sorry, their, their adjustment of their inflation target, 
it, it means that they're they're pretty much committed to running their monetary policy more like the RBA really. So the RBA pursues um, average inflation uh, of two and a half percent, whereas uh, the Fed has had two percent more as a target rate, and they've tended to. Uh, to tap the brakes a little bit when inflation has been on track to reach 2% because they've just sort of got a historical fear of it overshooting and getting out of control. So that's the so by switching to this commitment to uh, inflation running for periods above 2% as well as um, what we've got now, of course, um, is below 2%, that means that they're just going to keep interest rates uh, much you know, low for so much longer that that really undermines the US dollar in terms of how attractive it is in uh, in terms of yield. So we can already see forecasts for the Australian dollar getting to 75 cents. You mentioned the period when uh, 2011 and 12, Ben Bernanke printing money, it got to ten at its peak. So, I mean, is there any suggestion now that there could be a similar sort of, if you like, uh, spike for the Australian dollar during this period or will something change that? I think the well, it certainly seems uh, that that does seem a, a real stretch. I guess the the key uh, is what's happening with the the rest of the world. So uh, the the Federal Reserve was uh, unusually aggressive there. Bernanke was um, very worried about deflation. Uh, deflation has not been a worry in Australia. We are we we tend to be more more worried about it. Inflation, obviously, it's been running running too low for a long time. But the, the thing about it is that the Federal Reserve presented, present, pursuing this very uh, aggressive monetary, loose monetary policy is at a time when most of the world is also pursuing quite, uh, quite loose monetary policy. If we think back to 20, uh, that period where the Aussie was at, at 110 or so, that the RBA cash rate was above 4%, so for spending its time, so four, four and a half, four and three quarters, even percent. So at that stage, you had a very, very big gap between official interest rates, uh, and so investors are getting a lot more more yield by investing in Australia. So at this time, uh, that's not the case. So we do think that the, the Fed, Federal Reserve, by, by being so aggressive, will undermine the US dollar, and that is a, a key factor. Um, in our forecast for the Aussie to reach 80 cents by the end of 2021. Um, but uh, to go further than that, uh, it, it is sort of hard to, hard to take the, the, uh, the steps to, to, um, to see it a great deal higher than that. It's going to be fascinating to watch it because it all has to do with competitiveness as well. Sean Keller, as I say, is the Senior Currency Strategist at Westpac. Always great with his time. And Sean, always good to have a chat. Great to talk to you, Ross. into this conversation about the Australian dollar and indeed the US currency because that's the other one we've got to watch. Matt Richardson, senior dealer uh, with corporate clients with OFX, which of course is the online currency dealer. Matt, many thanks for your time. Thank you, Ross. Yeah, happy to be on board. So just tell me broadly how you see it as the key influences that are driving the Australian dollar at the moment to, to these higher levels and which have led to these predictions that the dollar could go even higher from here. 
Yeah, look, we saw uh, last week that the Federal Reserve affirmed, uh, affirmed its sort of ultra-loose commitment to monetary policy uh, in its adjustment in its inflation management system. They uh, adjusted the inflation target away from a fixed level at 2% to uh, a floating average, essentially allowing for the increased price pressures to go beyond that 2% target, having been offset by uh, sort of this record run of, of, of levels below that threshold. So essentially, it means that the, the US Federal Reserve will keep interest rates lower for longer now going forward and in a bit to, to help rebuild that uh, US economy through uh, obviously the devastation of the, of the coronavirus. While we have, I guess, those case numbers improve there over uh, the last few weeks and uh, the uh, employment and labour market to make some recoveries from that shock in, in March and April, we're still seeing record levels of unemployment in the U.S. Of course, the Fed uh, the Fed has made its commitment to uh, supporting the economy, but fiscal policy in the U.S. remains behind, I guess, other major counterparts. Um, we're still looking for, for Congress, so the Democrats and the Republicans, to reach a new agreement on employment support. And um, that... that from the US and the rest of the world has sort of fostered and, and, and forced this US dollar downturn to sort of accelerate in pace and, and bring forward um, this, this further AUD upturn. So we're now looking at sort of a run towards 75 cents into the end of the year and all, all things being equal, you'd imagine that will continue into next year and, and, and run into to sort of the high 70s and possibly even on to 80, 80 cents. And it's interesting because Australia still clearly has positive interest rates, which much of the world doesn't have. So there's a return. There's a full expectation that the Australian government will have an ability to repay its debts if and when they fall due. And then you've actually got the fact that Australia right now has a strong balance of payments. Um, It also has the very strong iron ore price, which is, again, another factor for strength in the Australian dollar, according to the way in which I see it anyway. Absolutely. They're certainly underpinning this recent upturn. I mean, if you have a look at the RBA monetary policy platform, and we'll get some further guidance today as well, but uh, I guess when you compare that with other major central banks around the world, they've taken a relatively hawkish uh, viewpoint. They've, They've not committed to a monthly bond buying quantitative easing program, but instead opted for that yield curve management strategy. And they have steered away from a push towards negative interest rates when you compare that with uh, our counterparts in New Zealand that uh, are, are purchasing those monthly bonds and have indicated that uh, after this sort of fixed period of, of record lows at the current handle into March next year, that they will consider a move to negative interest rates. That this yield advantage is, um, is certainly firming in the Australian dollar's favour. As you mentioned there, these record iron ore prices as well. Um, we would expect those to continue. The supply issues that we saw earlier in the year uh, with Brazil, with uh, issues in supply out of Brazil have been um, have, have eased, and and this rally is really being driven by that Chinese economic engine. And uh, we'd expect China will continue to push um, that domestic stimulus there and, and, and try and drive its own recovery, which will only help to support iron ore prices going forward as well. So at, at this stage, really, the, the primary risk to that Australian dollar outlook um, would uh, be a disconnect between 
expectations at the moment and our own domestic economic performance. If we've got GDP numbers for the second quarter tomorrow, we obviously expect those will be relatively dire and, and perhaps Q3 will be uh, near zero as well, given the recent lockdowns in Victoria. But if we see an improvement through Q4 and into the start of next year, um, that should certainly uh, continue to underpin this move and um, certainly ensure that the RBA can, can maintain this current policy setting. There's one aspect of this that I think a lot of people sort of miss, and that is for the past 40 years, central banks have really, if you like, done the, the bulk of the economic heavy lifting, not, not the governments, because what they've been able to do is uh, keep the interest rates, you know, sort of low and continuing to cut interest rates all the way through this. So, you know, we're coming to the end of that 40-year cycle, and it, it, it does have a significant impact on currencies, especially if governments and central banks of the world do allow inflation spikes into the future. Yes, certainly the RBA has made clear that uh, the importance of fiscal policy in in driving through this uh, pandemic economic collapse is is crucial. And we've seen in the employment numbers, despite obviously a shock to that labour market, um, the JobKeeper and JobSeeker packages that have been issued by the federal government have certainly gone a long way into, I guess, easing um, that shock. But we will get a much better indication of the, the true impact and, and state of the economy when those um, policies and, and platforms are uh, eased and, and we start to see those um, pull back. So uh, obviously they extended it from September into March next year, but um, ongoing fiscal supports and, and adjustments in those packages will need to be maintained. We don't expect a full return in, in terms of our domestic economic performance now until probably 2020. 23. Um, and, that, and by that, I'm mean those pre-virus levels of, of sort of gross domestic um, growth. So um, fiscal support will be will be crucial in, in, in guiding us through, through that recovery, because obviously there's only so much that the central banks can do, having uh, exhausted a lot of their tools um, throughout the last um, three or four months. I'll tell you what, good to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate your insight. Uh, and your input as well. Matt Richardson, as I say, Senior Dealer of Corporate Clients at OFX, uh, which is uh, the uh, online uh, currency trading platform, which I've used for a long, long time, I must admit myself. So, Matt, I do appreciate your time today. No problem. Thanks so much, Ross. So that's it for this episode. We'll do it again real soon. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes.